today on Geekdomine Powers. It talks a lot about my obsession with Indiana Jones when I was a kid, uh, where I used to actually go to school dressed as Indiana Jones, which <clears throat> was not the smartest yeah. uh, decision at the time. Was, the bullies. Yeah. Yes, there was no such thing as cosplay at this point <laughs> in the world. Um, but I did it for a year because I just was like obsessed with it. Wow. Um, and I've always been uh, the type of person who has to participate in things I love, which I think is why I, I do comics, because I just love them so much I have to. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their stories... Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Our guest today is artist and writer Joshua Kimball. I found his comics online by accident and was so blown away by the powerful black and white art that I had to have him on the show. Not just because he's talented and should be highlighted, which definitely but because there must be a story behind that art. And there is. And that is, by the way, partially how I choose the guests. Like, you know, there are so many artists and I would like to talk to as many as possible, but I also want to uh, to keep it interesting for you, for me, for, you know. And you can tell uh, sometimes, often, that some people have really big stories behind them by the art that they give or by the stories that they write or by the shows they create, etc., etc., etc. And, you know, since I'm never going to do all the fans, all the creators, all the artists around the world, uh, I try to find really interesting people to talk to. Anyway, there is a story behind everything and he shared it with amazing openness and frankness. So here it is, Joshua Campbell's story. Can you tell us a little bit of your origin story? Uh, origin story as an artist or as a human? <laughs> as a human, we'll become an artist. Like, origin story as a geek. <laughs> Got it. Um, as a geek, uh, oh, man, that goes back. Uh, I, am, I come from a long line of geeks. Um, so uh, my father was a graphic designer and uh sort of a a guy who just had like vast interest in a ton of stuff so he had like five college degrees and uh pursued all sorts of things that were monetarily not very profitable <laughs> but always uh things in the humanities so he worked as a graphic designer back in the days of like paste up and before that was an architect for a bit um and uh my mom was an english teacher and so I was sort of born into a family that like had a vast appreciation of like art and books and literature. And so uh, from a really young age, I was like reading extensively, like, um, and I was always drawn to like comics, um, particularly like, you know, the early stuff that I grew up on was like, um, you know, of course, like peanuts and uh, like 
um, really connected with uh, um, Calvin and Hobbes and uh, and but also was like really heavy into like reading books and uh, loved children's books. Of course, like as a kid, like grew up on like Sendak and all the classic uh, kids books. And then at some point I uh, started getting into like really reading like heavy novels. And the first novels I got really into were like cheap thrillers, you know, like Michael Crichton books and stuff. Um, and so I'm like a fourth grader, like reading Jurassic Park before Jurassic Park came out. I'm like telling friends about it. This is the coolest story. And they're like, I, I, I don't know. It's not a movie. Um, and then doing his sphere. Books, yeah, yeah, dude. I went through, I anyhow, like in like fourth grade, I went through like a total Michael Crichton stage where I even went as far as reading Travels, which is like an autobio weird, crazy story about like doing drugs in multiple countries and stuff. Uh, when when being a doctor or whatever, it's anyhow, so like then, well, uh, wait, 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 oh, before, before the then, go ahead. um. You come from a long line of geeks. Like, how far back does it go? Past your, does it go past your parents? Um, I don't. You know, to be fair, like my grandpa, um, one of them was like a street pe- preacher in Chicago, uh, and then uh, my grandpa on my mom's side uh, was like, I guess probably not a very geeky guy. Like, he served in World War II. He was like a a, um, a chef on a on a navy ship. And so it's like, oh. I, I don't know if he had much of the geekdom, but definitely, um, de- I guess maybe not a long line, but, <laughs> but a short line of geeks. Um, my whole family, like my sisters, um, are, are super nerdy and geeky and both, both chose to go into English. Uh, and then I, I went into art. Um, <clears throat> but the real geeky stuff started happening probably in junior high, which I think happens for a lot of people about that age, um, where I started getting into like heavy metal. Um, I was really kind of like my sisters listened to kind of like alt rock, like the Smiths and, um, and like the cure and stuff like that. And I like got into that stuff. Cause I was like, naturally, like they're my older siblings. And then I started digging and finding stuff like Slayer and like Megadeth. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And uh, got into a little bit of role playing and definitely like heavy into uh, sci-fi fantasy. So I read Lord of the Rings. Um, I was like bawling when Gandalf died and my mom was a jerk and wouldn't tell me that, you know, of course, what we all know happens with Gandalf later on. And I'm telling friends at school about this thing. I'm like, it's crazy. There's dragons. And this is like pre-movies. So mm-hmm. people are just like, this guy's a geek, man. <laughs> like, um, And uh, I got really into Piers Anthony and like uh, the Xanth uh, series and like uh, went down the McCaffrey train of like the dragon riders of Pern and just like super into like very like heavy sci-fi fantasy stuff. Lots of dragons um, too. Yeah. And about a little bit before that, um, I, as I was reading books, I also like went to a library to like check out books and I had checked out a bunch of books in a certain section. I was looking for new books and they handed me this like comic that was supposed to get kids from comics into reading called like Spider-Man adventures in reading. And, um, uh, I hope this, if this is too, I've rambled a lot. So no, I just no, want no. you to know if I derail, let me know. Let me know. Okay. So, so uh, Spider-Man Adventures in Reading, and it was like this 
throwaway comic Marvel put out to like, you know, probably like try to justify to the censors like putting out comics. So they're like, hey, we're we're trying to get kids into reading. And it had the reverse effect for me where it was like, um, I think because of like the family I grew up in, like being so uh, just art and books, it just seemed like a synonymous thing that when I saw this thing, uh, like particularly in that format, I was just like, even as a kid, I knew like it was kind of this hokey thing. Like, I think it was like, hey, kids, get off drugs. Drugs are whack and like check out. (laughs) you know reading these cool books um but it was like just the the concept of like the marriage of like art and and story just seemed like perfect in comics so of course i like went to i just started going to like spinner racks and just buying whatever i could and i really because spider-man was my first intro i started just buying of course the least lucrative of the Spider-Man series at the time called Web of Spider-Man that had the black costume arc at the time. And I was just like really into that, um, the alien costume. And uh, I just, I got Venom deep appears into... Like it wasn't called Venom, right? When he started having a black costume. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was just like the symbiote, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, and then of course, like, the you know, when I hit junior high and I was like getting into metal and like, sci-fi um image did their thing and like all kids who were like teenagers in the early 90s into comics my mind was like blown i was in love with todd mcfarlane from his run on amazing spider-man and just kind of like fell in love with spawn and it it had that level of like darkness that was like perfect for the age i was at where i was like i don't know what it is about young boys and like ultra violence but i just was like super into it i was like it's a superhero story but he punches people and they bleed like you know it was just it was really cool and it was like gloves off but then i started maturing as a reader and uh even my musical tastes i started getting more into like punk rock and like post-hardcore and indie rock and like as i got into like high school and stuff i read like catcher in the rye and then i remember there were like there were a bunch of little gateways that got me into like indie comics, but one of them was spawn. Like there, there was this weird aardvark character and I'm like, who's this? Um, and of course I'm in the U S around like American comics that are mostly like superheroes, capes and tights, stuff like that. And I was just blown away by like, so I picked up Cerebrus and I was like, this is nothing like any comic I've read. And then the Sandman, uh, started coming out and I picked up issues of that and different vertigo issues and was just like, this is crazy. This is like so much deeper and like richer than a lot of the stuff I've been consuming. And um, from that, I just started, you know, getting really into indie comics and uh, finding like Robert Crumb and the zap comics guys and seeing the stuff that like raw had done, like, and, and uh, you know, getting into like Charles Burns and, Daniel Klaus. And, uh, and by that, at that point, I just knew, um, that this is something I wanted to participate in because I, I love literature. I also, I love superhero stories. I love heavy sci-fi. I still, to this day, have like broad geek interests, but, uh, but I really got deeply interested in the idea of comics pursuing kind of literary slice of life type fiction. 
And uh, so from that point, I mean, it's a long story to kind of get into, but it's like, that's, that's sort of what got me hooked was I, I think the thing about comics that's unique is there's something very intimate about kind of like sitting down. Uh, it, it, it's a more one-on-one -on -one experience than I think a film. I mean, you could watch a film alone, but it's like, there's something about the exchange of reading a comic, but also having the visuals, but also the visuals at the pace that you read it at, um, where you can slow down or speed up time. Um, there's just something very intimate about that, that connected with me uh, on a level that like film, like books, um, all of that have never really quite hit that same mark as like the first time I read Mouse by Art Spiegelman, where I was just like, I've never experienced anything um like that in in art except in that format and i can't imagine it being anything else than a comic um and there's so many other examples like bone by jeff smith another example of just high fantasy but just there's a connection um you know uh it, it, so so yeah i got well, really hooked let's talk, let's talk about that for a second because yeah the first time i hear it and it's really interesting so um there is something different about comic books it is mm -hmm. And do you think do you think it's the speed? It's the fact that you can reread something, not just read it your own pace. You can go and read think, it, or you can look into details, or what? Well, I mean, I think um, like part like part of why I'm into autobio, like in creating autobiographical or slice of life work. Like I have a, a comic coming out uh, this year that's semi autobiographical. It's fi it's fiction, but it's still slice of life. Um, it, it's it's somewhat like the feeling of a uh, diary. Where it's like um, if you found a diary and you're kind of getting this like you get to see the inflections of how somebody's writing, like you're seeing the penmanship, uh, um, which is why I'm a big fan of like hand lettering in comics mm -hmm. as well, because that brings in that kind of intimate like you see the mark making of the of the of the writing. Um, there, there's just this weird exchange. And I do think some of it has to do with, it's usually not something done collectively. Like um, I, when I was in fifth grade, I'd read comics with buddies uh, on the playground, but you, you weren't really reading them together. You were just like, Oh, that's a cool punch panel or something, <laughs> you know, like um, to read it, you really do have to kind of sit down with it. So it's intimate, like a novel in that way. But I do agree. I think, I can't, I, I, if I could pinpoint it, I'd probably be really wealthy. Um, <laughs> but I think there's something to having to do with the time and the tempo of it that almost makes it like music um, where like the sizing of the panel, uh, the choice of like the pacing of what's being depicted can either slow or speed up time, but it's kind of an exchange between the artist and the reader and it's something just so visually unique to comics. Um, and I think like you really mean, embedded in, in art history. Yeah. 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 Um, but the fact that like the control is kind of with uh, the reader, um, but still not quite to the extent of like a novel where you're completely beholden to your imagination. Um, and then the words are giving you suggestions, but like your imagination can kind of wander. Like I could have a, a bring up Catcher in the Rye, like the one of the first novels I really like super connected with. Um, and I read at the right age. You should always read that like mm -hmm. early teens. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but but like that you know that book like you read it and i've talked to other people who have a different vision in their head of like what holden caulfield looks like right whereas like if you took like a kind of equivalent like david boring by like daniel klaus like nobody can make up what david boring looks like because he just looks like he's drawn you know Mm -hmm. um but we have like these different interpretations of what happens between the panels and i think that's yeah i don't know it's 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 a unique and interesting kind of cool thing about comics yeah interesting okay so i interrupted you but that was that was really interesting oh cool (laughs) go ahead so you're talking about what happened then so I, you know, I just got heavily into comics and the idea of comics as literature. And at the time I had this vision um, and I didn't realize that there were already so many people who were breaking ground in this territory. Because when you first kind of dip into like, especially like a subculture, it's like when you first discover punk rock, um, like in the 90s, I was discovering punk rock from the 80s. And not realizing that it's got like this long stemming history that goes back to like the Stooges and like uh, the Monks and like these bands that like were kind of breaking ground like in the 60s and the 50s and like all the way back to like Roots Jazz. You know, it's like it it doesn't um, it, it was similar to that. I was like at the tip of the iceberg of indie comics, but but I got this idea um, that like these should be in bookstores. And at the time, this was just like an absurd idea. It was like, you know, most people, when I'd say I wanted to do comics, they'd be like, oh, okay. So you want to draw like superheroes or you want to do Sunday funnies and stuff like that. And I'd be like, no, I want to make like books that are like in bookstores that Mm. are comics. And uh, it was just this, this kind of strange idea, but I decided to go to art school uh, based on that. And I had, you know, other interests and pursued other things like i'm a huge fan of music and i played a lot i i took a break from college for a bit to try to be a rock star as every young man should <laughs> um did go? and uh not the end, but sorry. How, how did it actually go uh which which becoming a rock star like the the process uh well it was fun and i learned a lot that i apply to art uh like some of it requires confidence like to be able to go on a stage and play in front of like 10 people or 100 people and kind of have have confidence and we gigged around and played some gigs it was fun it was a good good experience um but uh but i also at the time was like um working like graveyard shifts at like an am pm and um like which is like a gas station or a bp i guess um uh and um and basically just found myself um i i got robbed at gunpoint uh at that and had like kind of a moment of like hey i've wanted to do this uh cartooning thing and here i could have died like being this guy who's playing like bar shows (laughs) and working graveyard shifts at a gas station you know like if i want to make art and want to make books i need to actually be serious about it so i started uh attending a junior college and then i went from junior college transferred went to art school at cal state long beach and started uh by that point just started really doubling down on on taking uh art very seriously and then had another kind of uh wake up moment where i realized like no one's gonna hand you um 
like an opportunity to kind of like, it's not like you're going to get to a point as a cartoonist where suddenly like somebody goes, congratulations, kid, you're allowed to do comics. Um, I got to a certain point in school where it was just like, yeah, I need to just do a comic. If I'm going to do a comic, I just need to finish a comic. And there was no like Kickstarter or anything like that at the time. So, but there was this thing called the Zarek grant that was created by uh, Peter Liard uh, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fame um that had kind of kick-started the careers of like i think adrian tomine and um jason lutz and like some of the guys i really admired at the time were all kind of going this route of the zarek and so i was like you know i'm gonna just do like a 24 page autobio comic i had gone through a breakup at the time so i was like i'm gonna use that as fuel like revenge kind of comic <laughs> um and uh and uh, um so i wrote this uh thing and then initially like my first draft was just a straight telling of like how wronged i was in a previous relationship and then i realized that, that was kind of boring um and so i decided to make the premise the idea of like a guy who's just laboring over this comic dreaming of it succeeding and he's going to tell this the true story of this broken relationship and uh ends up finding out that uh his girlfriend had beaten him to the punch and written a story that was very successful oh. about their broken relationship. So that was my first comic. I applied for this grant having no right or name. It, no, it only no one because it was meta. The story worked because it was meta. It's about the relationship. It's something about about the relationship. And then yeah, yeah, and it was a good first lesson in doing autobio because I think when you're doing autobiography, there's a tendency to like kind of glorify yourself or be too narcissistic, and it can be kind of boring for the reader because you know we're all our our own hero in our story. Um, to make interesting autobio comics, like one of the things R. Crumb was really in touch with, and I think uh, makes his work appealing is you don't read a comic by crumb and necessarily want to hang out with the guy, <laughs> you know, like um, he, he really like leans into his flaws and insecurities and Harvey P is brilliant at that too, where he'll write like his flaws and insecurities and, and probably exaggerate his own anger and stuff like that. Um, as well as just his obsession with jazz. Like he's like, I'm obsessed with jazz. I'm going to write it as if I'm a drug addict, you know, <laughs> like, um, and I think that makes it much more accessible for people because people can relate to like a flawed character um, and it makes for a much more interesting story. So I think that was a good lesson um, for me in like in learning early on how to do it. Also, it was just like everyone has this experience when they first try to do an art form they really admire where it's like you kind of have these ideas of like, oh, when I write a song, I'm going to write a song that's better than this crappy song or whatever uh, oh when i do a comic it's going to be better than these because you know how hard can it be and then you start doing it and you're like oh my gosh like i don't know anything i don't know chords i don't know <laughs> like you know what i mean and you start realizing like how much how, how rich what you're trying to do is um and how long and hard and, and time consuming it is to make so anyhow so i did this nobody knew who i was at the time um i was you know like known among like friends at school but like i didn't have a web presence i didn't like nobody knew who i was and i for some reason decided to like apply for this really prestigious grant and i have no idea how but i actually got it um and that sort of kick-started uh both my um cartooning career 
and my illustration and graphic design career, which, uh, you know, on, on the money side, definitely made the illustration graphic design help out a lot more. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then I spent about 15 years, uh, you know, working as a, um, freelance illustrator and cartoonist, um, uh, doing, uh, mostly known for like t-shirt designs and stuff like that. Um, secretly carving away at books. Uh, one of them was called Jacob's apartment, uh, which, uh, never saw the light of day. And then, uh, uh, on my own personal career level, I went to graduate school, uh, to, uh, to start, uh, teaching. I taught at the college level for, uh, graphic design and illustration at uh, Laguna College of Art and Design for about five years. Uh, had a kid, um, finished Jacob's apartment, could not get it anywhere. Uh, felt really good about it, though. I was making this story that I felt was really uh, solid and good and just, yeah, and it was hard to market um, because, uh, you know, it's a book about um, college roommates uh, that are polar opposites. Um, one's a Christian, one's an atheist, and uh, one's a drinker, and one's like a teetotaler, and uh, they've been friends for years, and it's kind of about them finding commonality in their shared dreams, um, and it deals with uh, it's a somewhat close to my heart subject, because I, uh, I lost my father to cancer uh, around uh, on this journey, and uh, so I had the character uh, dealing with uh, his father's death as well. Um, and so it's some really heavy topics that sort of interweave with between dreams and reality. And it was a hard book to get somebody to bite on. Like I got a lot of positive responses. I actually uh, got mentorship from Diana Schutz uh, from Dark Horse, who's very famous uh, editor. She uh, edited Frank Miller on 300 and um, it, you know, actually was working with Dave Sim for multiple years on, on Cerebrus till they had a parting of ways due to his uh, misogyny. <laughs> um, but I, but I, I was flattered and just uh, um, honored to like have this uh, like positive feedback from cartoonists and, and editors and stuff, but just nobody was willing to take the risk to put it out. But I, I continued to kind of grow in my career um, after, you know, uh, my wife and I decided to have a kid. And so um, and, and meanwhile, I'm also in graduate school and the nice thing about graduate school is it gives you this moment to pause from like the money-making stuff. Like I was doing a lot of pop cultural t-shirts, uh, for threadless at the time, uh, which I won a lot of like 10 or 15 times, um, back when it was a competition. Um, and, uh, and so like my illustration career was, was fairly lucrative but in graduate school it's like it takes money out of the equation and just goes like your your thesis as an artist uh has to be just kind of like making a great work and kind of thinking about like hey if you take money off the table like what would you make mm -hmm. um so there i doubled down on making graphic novels and i made uh my my first published graphic novel which is uh two stories um which was a memoir about faith and mental illness that sort of recounted um, my, uh, my uh, I, I had a very dark period when my wife and I um, moved out of state. We were Californians. We moved to uh, Portland. My wife uh, struggles with panic disorder. Um, 
and I am prone to like really heavy depression. Um, and then we moved to the Northwest where there's like no sunlight <laughs> for, for like for, you know, three fourths of the year um, away from friends, family. Um, and eventually uh, I found myself uh, somewhat suicidal, uh, walking on a bridge, uh, willing myself to, to jump. And it was a really dark period that we went through uh, we, we got out of, um, and when we moved back, I always had in the back of my mind, the frustration that I felt at the time when I was going through that, that no one really spoke candidly about mental illness or heavy topics, um, in art. Like when they did it, it would be in like an, it's a wonderful life type movie. Um, or, you know, which was a really groundbreaking film at the time, uh, for even touching on the topic, but is not like the most honest or straightforward um, recounting of like somebody dealing with depression. And it's, and it's very much just like situational depression. Um, and so I decided, you know what I'm going to do since I'm in grad school, I'm going to write this completely unmarketable book. <laughs> so, so I, uh, I wrote a book um, and uh, it, it basically talks about um, that it's a confessional graphic memoir that grapples with questions of faith mental illness, depravity, and ultimately redemption in a fallen world. Um, and, and book one is, uh, is kind of dealing with that, uh, juxtaposing that with like playground politics and, and a lot of geekdom as a kid, actually. It talks a lot about my obsession with Indiana Jones when I was a kid, uh, where I used to actually go to school dressed as Indiana Jones, which <clears throat> was not the smartest yeah. uh, decision you at the time. Well was, the bullies, yeah. Yes, there was no such thing as cosplay at this point <laughs> in the world. Um, but I did it for a year because I just was like obsessed with it. Wow. Um, and I've always been uh, the type of person who has to participate in things I love, which I think is why I, I do comics, because I just love them so much I have to. Um, but yeah, and I decided to just take away um, like Jacob's apartment. When I had done that, it was full color. Uh, I decided uh, most of my favorite comics are black and white. So I'm going to go black and white. I'm going to go a lot more rendery and hatched with the style. And I'm going to actually vary the styles. So uh, there's a style that's uh, more of a cartoon modern <clears throat> Sunday comics kind of style uh, for the childhood sequences in the story. And then a much more realistic, like very, um, you know, Dark Knight Returns kind of style <laughs> uh, to the more uh, serious like adult topics. And I crafted like the first uh, chunk of that book. Then we had a kid. I became an art director um, uh, because, you know, once you have a kid, you're like, okay, I have to like, actually, <laughs> like, I, I have to make more than just like a meager living. Cause at the time we were living in like a, a not so safe area of Long Beach. And I was just like, I want my son to be able to like walk down the street, like, you know, safely. Um, and so yeah, I took a position as an art director, just got completely lost in it for about two years. Uh, finally got back to it when my son was a little older and was like, I'm going to finish uh, two stories, book one. Um, and then lucked out <clears throat> a little bit because when I was uh, finished with the book, I was shopping it around. I wasn't having much luck uh, finding publishers who were willing to take a risk. I, again, was in a scenario where just so many people were like, writing raving positive reviews of the work um and yet like they just candidly be like but it's really hard to market a book about like mental illness you know um 
<clears throat> or a book that talks about faith, but also has like drinking and uh, language and like, you know, um, it's just How a weird book. And I, it? How did you try to market it? Um, just for what it is, because I think it's important to have stories like that out there. I think that um, uh, people who are suffer suffering, uh, especially in this time, you know, during a pandemic where like everybody's been kind of like locked up, locked in their uh, apartments or houses and uh, haven't really seen a lot of people. I think that more people than acknowledge, especially men um, uh, with, with suicidal ideation and stuff, I think uh, experience these struggles. And I think the more it's kind of taboo and not talked about, the more isolated people feel. And so I actually think stories that kind of candidly address it are like really urgently important. Um, and so that's kind of the angle that I took to market it, which again, like hard to market. So um, also I'm not like super famous. Like I'm, I'm known in small circles, like I've been in design annuals and, and stuff like that, but like outside of like the niche design world, like mm -hmm. I'm not like super known. <clears throat> so it's not like uh, it's, it's also hard to just sell auto bio in general. Um, memoir is just a hard thing to market if you're not like famous for something. So, <clears throat> so, um, but uh, I, I tweeted out like just to my friends, like I was kind of like, okay, I think I'll just kickstart like or, or crowdfund this because, you know, I, does anybody have any tips on like people I should send to or do you think I should just uh, kickstart? And then my friend, a really good friend of mine, Alan Noble, who's a really good writer, uh, just kind of tweeted like somebody needs to represent this guy's work's brilliant. I didn't ask him to. And, it, um, mm. and then a literary agent approached me, picked me up, um, and I got a publishing deal through wow. Marcosia Enterprises to put out two stories. And uh, just last year, <clears throat> like uh, I, during, uh, while working on book two, it's going to take about probably two years. Uh, I'd say like about two years from now to finish, um, I realized like, wait, I have this finished graphic novel, Jacob's apartment, which I still feel really strongly about. And now I have a literary agent. So let's give it a shot. And, uh, that got picked up for publication just this year. So two stories came out, um, last year and it's available on Amazon, um, for a really reduced price. Uh, you can also get it at your local comic shop or anywhere that orders from Ingram. Um, and you definitely will have an easy time in like Europe uh, getting a hold of it because Marcosi is a UK publisher. Um, and, uh, and then uh, Graphic Mundi is putting out Jacob's Apartment. And I, you're literally exclusively getting this. I haven't been able to talk about it for like three months. Um, but like literally Friday, um, I think right after you emailed me about this interview, <laughs> I was like told I can talk about it. So, um, so yeah, Jacob's apartment is 136 full color, uh, pages, and that is coming out in May of, uh, of this year, this upcoming year, 2022. So I'm really excited about that. Um, because yeah. it's a, it's a like, and what's weird is I have another pending deal for a pitch. So I am like hustling. Like I, I can show you, like I was literally inking this at like five seconds before we started because uh, at this point I'm like going to work art directing, coming home and just hitting pages. 
um, because I just like right now it's a uh, it's it's like a feast period like in the whole feast famine thing but it but it's such a fun thing um and i'm rambling i know but i'm excited about uh the prospect of making comics the idea that you know dedicating years to making these things you know graphic novels take years to make at least for me um uh you know like uh two stories it's like a it's hand lettered hand inked um and uh it's it, there's a lot of consideration that i put into like paneling and storytelling and pacing and stuff like that and just the fact that in the last few years all of this hard work for for about a decade now um is just starting to come to light and see the light of day and i'm getting positive feedback um i've already had readers who read two stories who've emailed me um one who actually said it it stopped them from killing themselves which is insane um i'm getting a lot of um I, I'm getting to put these books out and it, and it's really exciting to me. It's a huge opportunity and, uh, it, and it makes me want to hit the pavement harder and work. And I know I just rambled for like, <laughs> for like an hour. So listen, you haven't rambled. Usually oh. I ask people questions so they can tell me the stuff you, you're telling me that question. So hmm. fine. I love it. So it's perfect. Uh, Great. And now for my second question. No, just kidding. <laughs> so, listen, it sounds amazing. And, I, you know, I reached out to you because I saw, I happened to see you art, and it's fantastic. So, um, awesome. I have to talk to you uh, and find out the story behind that and how you're doing what you're doing because it seems like you're taking your own path. Uh, so, what is, like, what do you imagine right now you how should I say? How, right now you're on. Uh, I want to ask about the future, but I think I think you're not that busy thinking about the future because you're so busy hitting the pavement, right? You enjoy. Well, the- I mean, I can I can tell you a little bit of future. Um, I I enjoy being an art director. Like it's a really fun job, um, and uh, and I've worked really hard as an art director to kind of create a, a scenario for my team and myself where we have a really good work life balance. So there's not like tons of overtime. Yeah. With that, so I really enjoy that. Um, but I also uh, I really don't see myself stopping creating comics. Um, so I will say like this year you know, Jacob's apartment's coming out. I plan on doing things like, uh, I, I believe you've had him on. It's funny. Um, so my friend, Jim's been on your show. <laughs> my friend Ken's been on your show and oh, I think okay. there's, Oh, Hav too, Javier. Um, so I, that makes me really happy about being on here. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but anyhow, that was kind of, Oh, the reason I was bringing that up is uh, Ken Mora and I are doing LA comic-con uh, at the beginning of um, next month. So it's like uh, May 5th and 6th. And then I'm going to be hitting conventions a lot um, for Jacobs too. I think I might be doing TCAF mocha. Um, so I, I plan on conventioning, promoting these books. Um, the next book that I, I will be re- making after that would be two stories book two. So I envision that that will probably be uh, 2023. And then I can't talk about uh, another book that I, I think might be in the pipe for 2024. So it's looking like about four graphic novels in four years, uh, which is pretty exciting. One of which 
uh, I haven't, uh, I, one of which is a collaborative thing uh, with that, that I was pitching with a collaborator that I can't talk too much about, but it's um, that one I won't be writing, which is kind of exciting. Um, but uh, the others will be written and illustrated and hundreds of comic pages. So that, that's kind of the near future stuff um, that I can see. And my hope would be just to continually be putting out comics because I, I just love them and uh, the opportunity to participate in them and tell your own stories that are a little outside of the, uh, the mainstream is just like a really cool thing. So nice. Where can people find you? Um, uh, oh, joshuacampbell.com. Uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube. I, I do a lot of um, YouTube shows, uh, one called The Art Casters with my friend Scott Circland and uh, Corey Kerr, who are brilliant artists on their own as well. Uh, and um, I also do a show called The Indie Review Show, uh, which right now is kind of on hiatus because of all the comic pages I have to do. Um, but I also do live streams while I'm working too. And uh, so it's fun. It's a fun way to kind of create art, hang out with uh, writers, artists, uh, filmmakers and stuff when we're all working um, and be able to chat and hang out with each other. So, yeah. Nice. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming, for telling your story and uh, being so great about it. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I, I am kind of curious, like, uh, what time is it for you right now? Because we have this crazy time. 9.39 a.m. Wow. Um, yeah, for me, it's like 11.39 uh, p.m. I, I love that. I love the era we live in where we can talk to people across the globe. Um, it's the future. It's, Listen, we live in science fiction. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> people take it for granted, but I like living in future i've been waiting for it for a while and it's coming and it's not yet done we have not just vr and ar coming we've got nanotechnology which is going to change everything about us we're going to have you know the ai of computers is nothing compared to what it's going to be uh not to mention you know really crazy things which could happen like smart air your computer could be in the air because it's filled with nanotechnology so you just Make a gesture and you just you see something. Uh, you know. It's crazy so cool. Things are coming. I love it though. I'm I'm excited about the crazy things that are coming because I've been reading about them for years. <laughs> um, although there's the side of me that read dystopian novels and I'm I'm always cautious cautious and optimistic about yeah. it. Um what just out of curiosity, um I, I, and I, I mean, if you have to go, I get that too. Right. What, what got you, um, what got you into kind of geekdom in general and, and what inspired you to kind of make a podcast about it? Cause it's so cool yeah. that you highlight all this independent work, you know? Well, that's like 45 years between the first question and the second one. So, um, I, I'm much like you, my parents got me into reading uh, very quickly. Uh, by the, when I was uh, in the third or fourth grade, I finished all the books for my age at the library. Uh, and I did, I used to read, basically, I loved adventure stories and uh, science fiction stories. Uh, at the time I only read in Hebrew, so we had very limited science fiction. We had Asimov, a few Asimov stories and lots of true burn stories uh, and stuff like that. So and, Any been, Bradbury in there? No, I, I actually, I think even 
until now, I think I've only read one thing of his. Uh, oh, you got to dip into Bradbury. It's good stuff. I tried reading uh, Fahrenheit uh, when I was in the, in the university and it got me really angry. <laughs> because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I got it wrong because I stopped very early. Like I stopped a few pages in because the book seemed to me like it was talking to people who already agree with him that burning books is bad. And I thought he should convince the people who want to burn books. I, I, I can actually get on board with that. I, I can see what you're saying there. That um, might be more effective. But I should, I should, uh, you know, I should, there's lots of stuff I, I haven't, uh, I haven't read, you know. <laughs> oh, I was just curious because I, I loved Asimov a lot too. Um, I, but that's awesome. So, so that's, that write, was your. I, I, when I was 17, I wanted to become uh, uh, an author. I, you know, when I was reading Jules Verne, when I was six, I was, I was learning how he was writing. I was keeping me moving from one page to the next. So. I have the brain uh, of an author, and um, uh, that's what I did. That's what I became. And recently, I think, you know, people are not, uh, it didn't happen that long ago, but I, I think I, I don't really remember why I started this specific thing, probably because I wanted to, there, there are so many gigs which are not highlighted, but as soon as I started it, I saw the potential of it. We, I really could reach around the world and find geeks. Ah, that's what I want to do then. I wanted to find out the people that no one talks about, like uh, people who are uh, like you do stuff that's out there, people who are completely uh, ignored by society because of their origin, their colors, the, uh, you know, the country they come from, because they're natives. Uh, there's so much world science fiction, fantasy geek stuff uh, all around the world. And most of what we see is uh, English-based. So if you look back in my, my podcast, there's tons of stuff and more coming from all around the world. Uh, I love it. Because geeks are all around the world. Yeah. And, and I think diversity is really important um, in, in, in books and in comics. And I think... Uh, like I, and this is going to sound like a, another plug thing for myself, but I hope yeah. it doesn't. Cause I'm, I'm being sincere. One of my favorite things about like, so graphic Mundi um, has been uh, translating like people like Espe who like th th that needs to be available in the U S it's like such, such a great cartoonist. And it's like, we, we barely have any of his books. And so it's like um, there, the the releases are are just these very diverse uh, different voices from across the globe and i love being a part of a like personally i'm really excited about being on board with that publisher because of that too there's so much diversity in what they're putting out um that it's just like super flattering to even be included um among like you know books that are dealing with like refugee crises and um uh stories of like uh, i mean um, it, it's just, it, it's insanely exciting. Um, again, like just to, to get like, like sort of what you were saying about the diversity, um, and, and like the amount of geeks and people who love things, all, all like these niche things that we love, 
um, are all over the globe. And I think it's just, it's great when people are highlighting that. And I think what you're doing is really great too when, for that. And it's so exciting. Like to me, I'm excited to talk uh, to someone outside of my country who's like way into geeky stuff. I mean, I think that's the best experience ever. So I, I'm excited. I've listened to a few of, of these uh, episodes, uh, especially the ones with my friends. <laughs> but I plan on digging back um, because it's just such a good way to find out about other things. So, Cool. Thank you. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. I thought in the beginning, I used to write diversity on, on uh, you know, the description, and I very quickly realized that diversity is not a good word for it. At least for my, I don't have a, an alternative word for it, but I think diversity seems, sounds really white to me because, you know, that's true. We'll, we'll just let other people in as well. That's what it means. But the truth is that there's more, there are more countries around the world than there are, you know, English speaking countries. Are more, uh, the white people around the world are fewer than the other. The people who get to be highlighted are not. Uh, listen to the episode with uh, Francesco Verso. He is an Italian publisher, a small publisher, who picks up science fiction from all around the world. He picks science it. fiction from the Andes and from India and from China and from all around the world. Stuff you've never heard of and you never will because he translates it to. Uh, Italian and Chinese. And he talks about all the things that get lost because we don't get to see them. Uh, and there's, there's so much of that. And if you listen to the episode with uh, Donald Ekpeki uh, from Nigeria, he talks about how everything uh, around Nigeria is basically closed. Up. Before there was an internet, he literally couldn't send things out because the mail didn't work. He couldn't get published. He couldn't send out stories. And even in the internet, people don't, ex there's a problem sending money to Nigeria. Yeah. PayPal doesn't work with Nigeria. And there are so many, uh, you know, the entire country's probably continent that's, that's basically blocked off from, uh, uh, from the rest of the world. Uh, and that is slowly breaking, you know, breaking up. Uh, I love that. Stories made, and books and so on. That's so great. Um, because like, again, like it's just, <laughs> it's a shame to me to like think of untold stories or like books that are sitting out there that are brilliant that I have no access to. Um, that always bums me out. So I love the idea I just, I think that's such an exciting thing. Um, so I'm excited. I, I will dip back and check those out. You're in Israel, right? Yes. Okay. So the only, this is long ago. I used to do a podcast called Big Illustration Party Time, like very long ago. Um, and I was stoked to have um, one of my favorite illustrators of all time. Uh, they're, they're brothers and they live in Israel. And I got to interview one of them. I was very excited about that. But uh, have you heard of the Hanukkahs, like Asaf and Tomer? Yeah, yeah, I met one of them one time, yeah. Awesome, yeah. yeah I got to talk to Asaf and like, I have to admit outside of that, I'm not as familiar with other uh, cartoonists or writers out there. And so I'd be really uh, stoked to kind of find out um, more. That'd sure. be fun. I'm, I'm kind of an odd egg because I write in English. I get translated to Hebrew. So mostly. that's, that's, that's a, that's a good, I, I think we're all odd eggs. <laughs> um, 
again, like I couldn't even find a US publisher initially. Sure. Um, so I ended up getting published by like a British publisher who was willing to take the risk. And and I'm not kidding about Graphic Mundi. It's like um uh like um six thousand miles to freedom. That's one of the books that's coming out this spring from them. And it's about uh two uh boys like um and I'm gonna mispronounce their name, but it's Stefan uh Merchetti and Sorel Pomes, and it's about their flight from the Taliban. Wow. Um uh Hakim's Odyssey, which is uh f- about the flight from Turkey to Greece. Um it, like it's just again, like they're they're publishers that have like a broader and then Espe the pass, um, and then for some reason me. And I'm like, I don't I, I'm so glad to be a part of it, but um, I'm also really excited about what they're putting out. And I think because I'm published with them, I think I get like a minor discount. So I might have to just kind of like consume um, all of their books because I love what they released last season. So, yeah. um, but, but again, I'm also excited because these are books that have never been translated here before and they should be. So I think that's, I don't know. I think that uh, inner inner world connections are, are really good and, and especially with art. So I'm excited, man. Thank you so much to Joshua Kemble. You can find Joshua, Josh at uh, the webs- his website, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube channel. All the links are in the show notes. Joshua Kemble is spelled K-E-M-B-L-E. Well, just the Kemble part. Joshua is J-O-S-H-U-A. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like and subscribe and join in whatever you want to do because next time, and there's always a next time, there's always another person. Next time, we go down the time travel rabbit hole. Next time, we talk fans, podcasts, and time travel. So climb the steps, ring the bell, and I'll see you soon. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Know what I mean. Let's see who got that. Who got that? Email me at guy.hasson at gigdemimpals.com. Who got it? How many fans listening also know what that means? Guy.hasson is, uh, Hasson is H-A-S-S-O-N at gigdemimpals.com. The website is gigdemimpals.com on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're at gigdemimpals. If you want to check my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries, it's an experiment in epic fantasy like nothing you've ever seen, uh, feel free to check it out, The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time, and for now, have an empowered day.